What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Hardwood Knox listeners. If you're like me, you can be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of content that is available to you on a daily basis. What is worth reading? What's not reading? How do you keep up with your favorite team, your favorite league? It's all so overwhelming sometimes. Axio Sports has a solution. They're a free curated daily newsletter that will send you the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. You can set up your free account at sports.axios.com and get this content that you want, that you need, delivered directly to your email inbox each and every day. What are you waiting for? Sports.axios.com. Sign up for free. Again, sports.axios.com. Hey, hi, hello, what it do, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. Can't believe that Kyle Lowry got an extension on a Monday morning co host, Andrew D. Bailey. Before we jump in to uh, two team season previews and talk a little bit about Kyle Lowry and whatever the hell is going on in Houston right now. I uh, just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, pleading with everyone to subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't done that already. And if you have, definitely throw us a rating. Then please write a review, any comments, feedbacks, things you'd like to see. Shout out to the person who argued an in-depth Kobe um, goat list uh, critique in the, the comment section. We appreciated that. Uh, Well-reasoned, even though if if we might not agree with it. That's the type of stuff we live for. So again, rate, review us, subscribe to us as well. We love seeing those numbers go up. If you need to consume us elsewhere, we can also be found wherever else you're getting your podcast, Spotify, Blog Talk, Talk, Art19, the whole friggin' nine. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Then follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. And then if you have time, follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Also, be sure to follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. You can check out my fire tweets there daily, as well as give a little look see to the other great podcasts that are part of the network as well. Whew. With all that out of the way, we get to the question that everyone's dying to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I am doing quite well. I'm excited to dive into the uh, Northwest Division today. Spoilers. <laughs> um, did you not mention that at the top my bad i probably should have mentioned that at the top actually it's gonna it's gonna be in the title so we'll be all right um so before we get to the two teams we're doing today the jazz and the oklahoma city's thunder it was andy's choice day so everyone could th- pop the confetti as they please uh, <laughs> some stuff is going on in houston uh daryl Morey has a now or since deleted tweet excuse me um about the things going on in hong kong that uh, Rockets own, owner Tillman Fertitta then responded to, but also deleted the tweet. 
I believe that Maury doesn't represent what the Rockets stand for. Maury apologized on Twitter. The NBA put out a statement about the Daryl Maury tweet. It was, I think it tried to walk a slippery slope and ultimately failed. Um, my take here, and I, there are smarter people that are talking about this on Twitter that I've retweeted on Twitter, and I don't want to offend um, anyone that might have family or anything in that in Hong Kong. This seems like Daryl Morey was pro-civil rights, and the NBA is taking the money over morality stance, which is always going to be assumed by these monstrous businesses, which we then, we often forget, or at least some forget, the NBA is because they're lauded for, I, I would say, making simple decisions that look better relative to other professional sporting leagues. But then when something like this pops up, they're going to take, you know, the, the corporate stance on it. They do a ton of business from China. The numbers um, and TV ratings for the NBA released through one of the services that wants to uh, suspend its its usage of, of the Rockets. Uh, those were a lot higher. I don't have them pulled up. But they were a lot higher than I expected from last season. I don't agree with the NBA, I wish it would have been nice if the NBA would have come out with a stronger stance in favor of Daryl Morey, uh, I do, but we definitely should have expected it. And my one question here, though, is how long are you able to try and walk this line for? Because what if this was a player that came out and said something? And so we have the report from the ringer that the Rockets have talked about firing Morey. And one, that's going to be, if you fire an executive over this, I think that's going to be a problem if the NBA is supposed to be quote, woke, and people are just finding out now that it's not as progressive or, or quote, woke as I guess it, it should be, whatever you want to call it. So that's going to be a problem. But what if this was a player that said something? And how does the NBA react then? Because they're so, they're, they're priding themselves on letting their players speak out. But at the same time, they're, they're clearly concerned here about all the business um, th- that they do w- with China. I don't have a whole lot to add beyond what you said. Um, I think my biggest takeaway is if you're going to be a professional sports league and play morality police on one thing, you better be willing and able to play morality police on everything. Um, Because (laughs) you open yourself up to a situation like this um, where it's it's very easy to for people to call you uh, hypocritical. So. Um, the NBA kind of opened itself up to what it's about to experience or what it's currently already experiencing. Um, and I'm sure they, they had to know that was coming. So if, if they wanted to get into this realm of, uh, of our everyday lives, they should have been willing to <laughs> go all the way with it. That's, that's basically my only takeaway. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a good one too. It's just, again, it's, you can't, you're right. I think that was a great way to put it. You can't play morality police uh, in, in one aspect and then sort of just punt on the other. And I, I will say, though, that they do get a lot of credit for, like, doing obviously morally correct things. Like, you know, racism is bad. Okay, like, you, I don't know how much you can be applauded for that stance. So uh, this will be something to monitor, and, and we shouldn't be the ones that are getting too much deeper into it. But I agree with, with your take there. Um, in other news, the Raptors signed Kyle Lowry to a one-year, $31 million extension. This is kind of a – first of all, and not that it came out of nowhere. I think there were reports that said he was interested in an extension. 
uh, it's just it's it's intriguing. What do you think it tells you about the Raptors' future? Do you think it maybe hints towards they don't want to break the team up at least this season? Do you think they're doing it so that maybe his you know his trade value doesn't really get any higher because by the time he can legally be traded, he's gonna just have one year left on his contract again. And so I'm wondering if you think maybe this speaks to you know the Raptors. Kyle Lowry likes it. They're they're rewarding him for winning a championship, but they also don't want to open themselves up yet to a full teardown, and they're kind of punting on that decision until at least next summer. Um, again, I I think I pretty much am in agreement with you here. Um, my first thought when I saw it, I I pulled up ESPN right before we started recording. That was the first time I saw it. Um, it I think it happened just a couple hours ago. I the, my first thought was, what does this do to the trade? possibilities it certainly seems like it's the trade is less likely now um well it's six months after he signs an extension he can't be traded i think i don't think they got this in before the trade deadline or maybe they oh, did so then it's definitely off the table because november december january february yeah that'd be four months unless i'm yeah. unless i'm misreading the cba here i'll double check it as you're talking but i think that's correct so either i mean yeah so that that would completely take it off the table. Even if it didn't, I, I think this would certainly hamper other teams uh, willingness to take him on. Now all of a sudden you've got another 31 million you got to pay next season. So I, I think the way that you put it uh, at some point in your, uh, your analysis of the situation that it's kind of a punt until next year, that's, that feels correct to me. Um, I guess Mark Gasol is still on an expiring deal. I don't know if you can get any value for him. Um, you know, Memphis, I guess, got decent value for him last season. So maybe there is still some there. But uh, you, maybe they just love what they've seen in training camp and they think they can make a, a little run for it uh, this season. But I, I think the most likely answer is another thing that you brought up that maybe it's just, you know, you just want us a title. You've been here for a long time. Uh, he's He's been the face of the franchise, really. I mean, a lot of people said it was DeMar DeRozan when he was there, and a lot of people said it was Kawhi Leonard last year, but the steady constant has been Kyle Lowry. Um, so to reward him for all of that certainly makes sense. Bobby Marks over at ESPN, their CBA guru, tweeted that the six-month trade restriction does not apply. Oh, okay. I still think it's less likely he gets traded now, though. I, I, it just tacking on another $31 million to whoever's taking him on um, – I think it just sort of curbs that a little bit. Unless it's like a team that knows it wouldn't hit on a biggish type name independently of a move like this. And so now you have Kyle Lowry for not only, let's say, half of this coming season, but the entire following one. Still, he turns 34 in March. Yeah, I was going to say, who's who's dying for that point guard for like, who really needs a point guard for a year and a half that's in his mid-30s? Yeah, so... It'll be if he's. It'll be cool if they don't blow it up. I think, and they're actually good, just because you lose Kyle Lowry, lose your best shooter and Danny Green as well. But you're coming off a title, and and if this team actually ends up still making some noise in the East, I just there there'd be something kind of cool about that. I think it would be cool too. Um, but I I think even like a really successful season for the Raptors, uh, at this point is, like conference finals. I don't know. You think that's their ceiling in the East? I guess they could still make the finals. Um, I'm actually shocked that you said conference finals. Oh, you don't think they can get that far? I mean, I'm just – if Siakam is the top 25 player that I think everyone's projecting him to be at this point, maybe. 
I'm just a little bit with Philly and, and Milwaukee and you don't have Kawhi for, for the playoffs. You kind of need, you need. I some- think it's just Philly and Milwaukee that I think are definitively better than them. So depending on how the break it, break it, and it depending on how the bracket shakes out, I, I think there's a chance they could get back to the conference finals. You know, that's true. I think, I think Philly's the only team that would ultimately scare me versus the Raptors. And maybe they're even better suited than most because you look at having – you go super big with Siaka, Mabaka, and Gasol if you really want to try and fight size with size. Yeah, yeah. I found this interesting too, the last thing on this Raptors note, and it was two-year – I double-checked it because you predicted a higher-than-expected ceiling for Toronto next year. Lowry played 808 possessions without Green and Leonard. Toronto posted a plus 6.6 net rating in that time. And that's oh. not an insubstantial sample size. That, yeah, I was, that's surprising. I, I was expecting a minus to be rolling in right there. Still want to see what their shooting is going to look like, though, because they do not have a lot of it. No. Yeah, that's, that's uh, definitely something to worry about. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. And again, it's free. Who doesn't love free? sports.axios.com not only will you be caught up you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins and best of all there's no paywall no subscription fee absolutely nothing this is free curated sports content delivered directly to you sign up at sports.axios.com again try for free at sports.axios.com Northwest Division say what? <laughs> um, uh, what? <laughs> you wanted to, uh, we're doing the Jazz and the Thunder. Uh, I would never bring in an expert to talk about uh, the Jazz when I have you on the podcast. Uh, who do you want to start with first, Jazz or Thunder? Uh, let's do the Jazz. Such a homer. Always picking the Jazz <laughs> first, the team with the better record. Um So let's start with just our observations, questions, inquiries into this team uh, or things that are intriguing for us. Calling it Fast Five now as I continue to tweak the formats a little bit so that these aren't lasting um, eight hours each. Uh, (laughs) What's what's one for you? Okay. Um, Who fills the Jay Crowder role is one for me. Um, And I was playing around with some numbers last night to try and answer this question myself. I'm actually not. I think I think you're probably more worried about it than I am. Um, because I think Royce O'Neal can do a lot of the things that Jay Crowder did and hit threes. So, so that's big to me. And then I think Jeff Green, I, he's nowhere near the defender Crowder is or Royce O'Neal is, but I think if you've got him in there for some spot minutes at the four, two, he's another guy that can shoot a little bit. Um, he had a below average three point percentage last season. Uh, but overall he was, he was very efficient, significantly better on, two-point percentage, uh, free throw percentage, getting to the line, all that kind of stuff than Crowder was. So I, I actually think they've got a lot of ways to soak up those power forward minutes. And not to mention the fact that their starting four should be a sort of a small ball playmaking four, too, in Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, 
So I, I think Crowder provided a lot of really important things to the Jazz over the last season and a half. So it'll be interesting to see who does it, but I, I think there's enough options there that at least one of them are going to hit. So we had an overlap there, so you'll definitely get to skip to your, your second one uh, very shortly. I, I, I've come around a little bit on it because I, I very much like um, Royce O'Neal. I still just wonder, one, I, I know you said Bojan Mardanovic was going to be there starting for. Does that mean you think they're going to start Ingles and, and Bojan right out of the gate? That's, I, a, that's I, another question I had. I think so, and I hope so. Um, that's To me, that's the most logical starting five. They started them together for the first preseason game, but they, it's hard to take anything from that because they were resting a bunch of guys, and Jeff Green started two. So I, I don't know for sure, but I think that's what they should do. I will say I'm very interested by Royce O'Neal at the four. If that doesn't end up working out, though, I think the – I don't want to say the price they paid for Conley, but including Jay Crowder in that Conley trade – ends up being bigger than I think many people expected or noted at the time. Um, oh, I, I am going to get to notable additions really quickly since I skipped to that. Uh, Boyan okay. Bogdanovich, Ed Davis, Emmanuel Moutier, Jeff Green, Mike Conley. Um, and those are those are the biggest notable ones. Notable exits, they have other guys, but we're just going through the, the quick hitters here like usual. Uh, notable exits, Derek Favors, Epe Udo, Udo uh, Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, and his favorite player, Raul Neto, Ricky Rubio, and Tabo Cephalosha. You're not wrong about Neto, but I have a lot of favorite players. Um, and that actually, so that that's a natural segue to another, you know, quick hitter, fast five type question. Um, how much of a drop off, if any, is there from, from Derek Favors to Ed Davis? I think there's a maybe a little bit of a drop off offensively. I think Favors is a really, really good pick and roll player um but i you know i'm i have to see what davis looks like in utah's offense before i can make that call definitively um maybe a slight drop off defensively as well i think favors is really good at, at defending in space out on the perimeter and he's a good rim protector too but ed davis and you know take this for what it's worth um second in defensive real plus minus last season trailing only rudy gobert so maybe Maybe I'm wrong on that too. Uh, he's a monster on the boards. I think he's going to be a great garbage man. And if he's if he's only in there for like 14, 15 minutes a game, to me that's they don't <laughs> they had one of the best backup centers in the league last year in Favors, and I I think they probably still have that with Ed Davis. It might even be he might be a better fit in the sense that you don't have to play him as many minutes as Favors, yeah. and so you're more comfortable leaving him on the bench more often. Uh, the one thing though is that if you like those dual big lineups that you can't really play Ed Davis and Rudy Gobert together. That wouldn't be something that I want to see. So they're pretty committed, which is fine. You know me and how I feel about um, the smaller, more versatile lineups. They're pretty committed to uh, Rudy Gobert. And then we can call them a small ball four, or, you know, no one like Je- Rudy Gobert, like Jeff Green front courts, Rudy Gobert, Bojan Bogdanovic front courts, Rudy yep. Gobert, Royce O'Neal front courts. It seems like they're pretty committed to that now. Which is, I'm with you. I think that's probably the right way to go. <laughs> oh, 100%. Uh, one of mine was, do they need to be or will it end up being a problem at the backup point guard position? I know you can stagger Donovan Mitchell and, and Mike Conley, but but after them you have Emmanuel Moutier, who I just do not think is good. And then you have the option of using Dante Exum, but I've never really looked at him as a conventional point guard or maybe someone who should even be controlling the offense for stretches at a time. 
perhaps that's just a irrelevant concern because you have Conley and Mitchell, and so you can stagger them accordingly. You have Ingles. Uh, you have all these secondary playmakers, and so that helps. I'm just wondering, particularly if you end up starting Ingles with Bogdanovich, does the the backup point guard rotation become a bit of an issue? I think it could. I I think they should give most of the backup point guard minutes to Donovan Mitchell, though, and I think that kind of solves your problem because you have enough positionless guys in O'Neal and Ingles and Bogdanovich. We've mentioned all the names a bunch of times already to make up for whatever minutes he's missing at the two. So if you play... If you play Mitchell like 24 minutes at the two, 10 minutes at, at the backup one, um, you've got his minutes covered right there. And then you only need a few more from a from a true backup point guard. And maybe that's somebody like Dante Exum who plays a bunch of different positions, too. Um, w- one thing that's really intriguing to me about this roster and this potential rotation is there's there's only two guys who I think should be getting minutes who are one position players. And that's Mike Conley at the one and Rudy Gobert at the five. And because everyone else is kind of positionless or can at least play a couple of positions, you can mix and match in a bunch of different ways. Um, so if there is a hole at this point, and, and actually one of my questions was, do they have any glaring holes? I think if there is one, it's probably that uh, backup point guard. But I think they have some some ways that they can cre- get creative and fill that hole. Yeah, I would, I would I would agree there for the most part. Like I said, and they just have, even if they don't want to run Mitchell at point guard, they just have a bunch of secondary playmakers where I guess if you're playing with Emmanuel Moutier or Dante Exman, both Conley and Mitchell are off the court, it doesn't, it's not going to hurt them like it would have on last year's team, especially if Dante Exum is, is healthy. Uh, but I would agree with you that you should probably give Mitchell point guard minutes and there, there should be minimal time where neither one of, Conley and Mitchell are, are on yeah, the court. Totally agree. Yep. What was your next one? Um, well, <laughs> this coming from the mayor of Exum Island, um, will we ever get a full, I mean, what's, what's, I don't even know how to phrase this. Like what is Dante Exum at this point? I mean, you, I would hope you would know that question. Answer that question more so than I. Just the James Harden stopper. Is that is that it? <laughs> he did have that amazing series against James Harden, and he's had a couple of like two week stretches of really great play in the regular season. Um, but it's it's kind of crazy. He's entering year six technically. I mean, he missed an entire season with an injury, but um, all those guys from the 2014 draft class are about to be in their sixth season, which is wild to think about. But with Dante Exum, he's played fewer than half the possible games he could have played over the course of his career. Um, he had the shoulder injury, he had a torn ACL, he had another knee injury this season uh, or this past season. So it's been difficult to get a read on him. Um, and I, I think it's maybe a little unfair to have sort of a definitive take on on what he is or what he will become just because his development has been thwarted so many times by these injuries. Uh, but at some point you got to kind of look at reality. He's never shown much as a shooter. Um, sometimes he seems a little bit loose with the ball. You mentioned the, the hard and stopper thing. And I think that's going to be his calling card, at least right now is I think he's still a pretty good on ball defender, uh, really good length can recover when he gets beat off the dribble. If he's healthy, I, I do think he's going to be helpful this season. Um, but it's, uh, 
it's now, like I said, year six, it's, <laughs> it's getting close to time to, and maybe even beyond time for a lot of people when you can sort of give up. So it'll be interesting to see what he can provide this season. What do you think he needs to do to stay on the floor offensively? I think the easy answer would be, well, he needs to hit jumpers or, or take threes. I might just say, can he get to the rim yep. consistently? Because we know he's he's shown flashes where he can finish there, and you don't even really need him to have a floater if he's going to be your backup point guard or sort of your – if you look at him as the third point guard even because you have Mitchell and, and Mike Conley. If he can just stay in that attack mode and kind, kind of keep defenses – on tilt, and then you're you're able to justify keeping him on the court. His defense is is basically known at this point. He can defend. Yeah. I would say one through three. He could probably yeah, even match sure. up against certain fours depending on the team. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Um, it would certainly be nice if he could hit like league average or slightly below league average as a three point shooter. But his his biggest skill is getting to the rim, and I actually think he gets to the rim pretty easily. His first step is still lightning fast, or at least it was before the most recent injury. Um, the problem for him is once he gets to the paint, he he's like deer in the headlights um, a lot of times. He doesn't know if he should try to finish. He didn't know if he should kick. Um, but he's had some games where it seems like he was very much in like the playmaker mode. Uh, I think he had a game against the Knicks last season when he had like eight or nine assists in the first half alone. Um, he can get to the paint pretty much at will. And I think now that he should be surrounded by shooting more often, just because there's more shooting in Utah now. So it, it should, you know, spread through other lineup beyond the starters. Uh, he can be a good playmaker. Um, like you said, improvement around the rim as, as a, you know, finishing for himself would obviously be nice too. But I think his biggest strength uh, as an offensive player is going to be drive, uh, draw the defense and kick it out to shooters. My second to last one for this team is what is George Niang's role? Will he even have one? And we kind of just talked about how they're committed to the smaller fours set up. And it seems like he could be someone, maybe they give an opportunity there. Uh, he shot 41% from three last year. Again, that's limited volume, but 105 attempts isn't nothing. And so if you have someone who can kind of space the floor, at that power forward position and knowing you have in a lot of lineups, you're going to have some combination of Gobert or Davis and then Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Dante Exum, Mike Conley. You don't need him to be this standout defender. And so I'm wondering if that's maybe something that they could just test out more often this year. Niang is a guy I kind of feel bad for in the wake of this massive overhaul, because I, I think he was probably on track for a rotation role. And he, in, I, I think he could be pretty effective if he was just playing like 14, 15 minutes a game this season. It's just going to be, I think it's difficult to find the minutes for him. Um, I was messing around with the rotation last night, the possible rotation. Um, and if I, if I limit it to a nine man rotation with the, the presumed starters uh, for at least for me, Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Gobert, and then four guys off the bench, um, Exum, O'Neal, Green, and Davis, the minutes already get pretty tight in a nine-man rotation. And you've already got, I think, three guys set to play some minutes at the four, and Bogdanovich, Green, and O'Neal. Um, it's hard to see. It's just hard to find minutes for George Niang. And I, I think he's good. Um, you know, not, not a guy who's going to go – 
start for a winning team somewhere. But again, in like a 14 to 15 minute limited role, I think he could be effective. I'm just not sure those minutes are going to be there for him this season. Unless, you know, guys get hurt, which is obvious. You know, that's always in the cards for the NBA. What's the last one you got? Um, we keep, I think a lot of people keep speculating about a Donovan Mitchell breakout. Um, and I'm wondering what that looks like. Uh, I, to me, it's just, if he can get to like league average or slightly above average efficiency, that's, that's good enough to me. I don't think he needs to take more shots. Um, you know, I, I don't think he needs to have a bigger role really in any sense of the word. If he can just do what he's already done more efficiently, I, I think that does wonders for the Jazz. And there's not really going to be room for him to be too, do too much more, right? No. Just because you added Conley and Blaya Bogdanovich. So, but again, that post-Christmas stretch from him, I know people cite post-All-Star or uh, I think it was actually, I don't even know if it was post-Christmas. It was, it was, it was New Christmas. Year's. Oh, I have him from Christmas. He was... 26 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 1.2 steals, slashing 44.7, 40.9, and 80.7. Got to the line at a fairly frequent clip. If that's the level he's going to play at, maybe you want to see him be a little bit more efficient inside the arc. But if that's the level he's going to play at, yeah, he's a star. And can he do that over the entire season? Or are we going to see? Are we going to be able to separate his, or, or rather, rate his performance? knowing that maybe the volume's actually going to go down because he took almost 21 shots a game during that stretch. I don't know that that type of volume is going to be there for him this year. I don't, yeah, you're right. I, I think it could go down. Um, Cause that, that's two more guys who need some shots. And I mean, Conley's going to need to shoot more than Rubio, or at least he probably should. And Bogdanovich is, he's a guy who averaged 20 for a big chunk of last year too. So they've got other mouths to feed, so to speak. You mentioned in there too, that about free throw rate, that's maybe part of a Donovan Mitchell breakout too. If he can, if he can figure out how to get to the line a little bit more, I think that helps him in a bunch of different ways. My last one, and since you think that Ingles and Bogdanovich are going to be in the starting lineup, are they both in the closing lineup? Because I could see a situation where it makes more sense to have O'Neal and, and Ingles on the court, and then you kind of leaving. Bogdanovich on the bench or is that just not an option because you gave him four years and 73.1 million dollars if I had to guess right now the closing lineup would be the one with Ingles and Bogdanovich um you know a lot of people say well you know it could be dictated by situation so maybe if they need more defense on a given night it'll be O'Neal maybe if they need more offense it'll be Bogdanovich but I feel like people say that a lot more often than they actually do it um so if I had to guess which one it would be right now, it's I, I would probably go with Bogdanovich. But Royce O'Neal is a guy who has um, he's been a pretty crazy story. I remember when they signed him. I think it was 2017. I was like, "Who is Royce O'Neal?" And I looked. I looked up his stats overseas. Uh, I think he came over at like age 24 or something like that, and he had just come off a season in Europe in which he averaged like seven or eight points a game. And I thought, what is, what is wrong with, what is Dennis Lindsay thinking? Um, and he has just exceeded expectations every step of the way. He keeps getting better. I know this is like typical training camp stuff, but he's the guy that's getting all these rave reviews about all the work he's put in over the summer. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he does finish a bunch of games. 
that's going to be that's just going to be interesting to watch to me. Uh, now we get to our quick hitters. This one seems, I think, pretty easy, harder than last year. Will they grade out higher on offense or defense? I'm still going defense, uh, even though they lost Derek Favors, and a lot of people are worried about what that'll do. Um, but I, I still think they'll be better defensively. But the offense has certainly caught up. That's kind of where I'll leave it. Like maybe maybe top five defense, and then like top ten offense. They were 14th in offense per cleaning the glass last year and first in defense. And so they definitely closed the gap. But I think since because it was so wide, that, that speaks more to their to their defensive talent probably. And I'm not as worried about Favors leaving defensively as I guess other others are. I'm not sure why, but I, I like the smaller looks anyway. And so if you're just worried about the backup center spot, Ed Davis it is solid. Yeah. And if they're healthy, they have so many plus defenders. Gobert. Obviously, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, Ed Davis, Exum, O'Neal. Um, Conley's undersized, but I think he's a good, experienced defender. I think Mitchell has has plenty of potential on defense. So I'm, I'm not as worried about it as other people are either. Breakout candidate for this roster. Uh, we just talked about him. I went with Royce O'Neal. Um, for all the for all the reasons I already mentioned, I, th- I think he's a guy who can shoot high thirties, maybe even low forties from three. He can even play make a little bit, um, not a ton, but I think I would trust him more as like a playmaker and passer than Crowder or Jeff Green. Uh, he's the one area that he needs some work on is finishing around the rim, and I you know I think if he adds that, he's he has the chance to be. I mean, he's already a really important player to this team, but he has a chance to take that up even a little bit more. He was my pick too. I really want to say Dante Exum because since the backup point guard role seems so much up for grabs that if he gets any substantial playing time and he's someone who could basically yeah. defend the other team's best wing player and then he shows any sort of positive signs at the offensive end, whether it's you know upping his finishing clip at the rim on a more consistent basis, uh, you know getting there uh, on a consistent basis with high percentage looks. I know he gets to the rim a lot, but I feel like his looks are always just – they're not they're not always the, the best quality or does he you know does he have a floater does he is he able to take and make some threes he's still only 24 and so yeah. I, I wouldn't he again he can't be my pick just because of all the injuries and we, we can't guarantee how many minutes he's gonna have so I, I would go with Royce O'Neal but but I feel like he has the potential to be the answer to this question as well I would be thrilled if he was who who's their strongest year-end award candidate I think this one is pretty obviously Gobert for defensive player of the year. Um, I, I don't know if I can like realistically make a case for about anyone else. I know there was some betting odds on Donovan Mitchell MVP a month or so ago. I, I just, that's really hard for me to see. Um, I don't even know who, who else would have a chance. I'm, are any of those guys six men of the year? candidates uh most improved player of the year candidates I, I i think it's gobert defensive player of the year pretty easily that is definitely the pick if you wanted to make an alternative argument i think it would have to be quinn snyder coach of the year mm. that's true good point yeah what's a lineup you're dying to see from this team um i want to see mitchell at the one with a bunch of wings um so, so I've got Donovan Mitchell, Dante Exum, Royce O'Neal, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Jeff Green. Uh, Jeff Green at the five. Jeff Green at the five. So I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> so I think that's going to be difficult for Utah to get to because Gobert is going to need 33, 34 minutes a game. That doesn't leave a lot for Ed Davis. 
So despite the fact that I, I think a big part of Jeff Green's like late career renaissance that he's in the middle of right now has to do with the fact that he's played some five, it's going to be hard for Utah to find him minutes at the five. However, um, I, <laughs> I want to see it at some point because I, I think it's, <laughs> it's unlocks a bunch of versatility. Um, I think we are, you know, we talked about various jazz lineups in a previous episode and we talked about how one of the problems last year was, you know, Donovan Mitchell with a bunch of bench guys was actually it. They struggled. Um, so what I've done with this particular lineup is I have Donovan Mitchell at the one and I have some of those bench guys, but I've also got Bojan Bogdanovic out there with him too. So in, in case, you know, things do bog down, you have at least one other guy who can create a, who can create a shot for himself. So this is, this is my attempt at a super small ball lineup, Jeff Green at the five. And um, I think this one would be fun. Mine was pretty similar because I did not expect for you to go with a Jeff Green at the five combination. But I have Jeff Green at the five, Conley and Mitchell still in the backcourt with O'Neal and Ingles um, on the wings. I recognize that this lineup probably isn't great defensively, but I think that the Jazz have such a margin for error on that end that you can lean into these hyper-productive offensive combinations. And I'll argue that at least testing out Jeff Green at center, as the Wizards and even the Cavs before them did, during the regular season is important because if you make it to the playoffs, there may be matchups where yeah. we've seen that Rudy Gobert isn't going to be completely played off the floor. Even in the Houston series, their defensive scheme was eventually fairly effective and he was able to stay on the court, but there are going to be matchups that could be tougher for him. And if you have sort of your own cheat code to lean on, then you might as well tap into it at some point. Yeah. I, I think they've got to experiment with it at some point. You're probably right player most likely be traded i will preface this one by saying i i don't think utah is going to make a mid-season trade but i it would probably probably be dante exum um a good salary matching number that he's on right now 9.6 million dollars again there's just so many question marks around him right now uh that maybe he doesn't fit where utah is at the moment so it's probably exum but again i would be pretty surprised if if any you know, big moves were made by the Jazz this season. I have zero to add there because he was my pick as well. But if he ends up playing well, he is just an interesting salary matching piece where maybe they're able to they get a little older, someone who's more proven in the yeah. playoffs. They can combine, you know, they could, I don't know if he wants to play in Utah, but if he wants to play for a contender, they can cobble together some interesting Andre Godala trade packages. So, but yeah. you, I, I, I agree with you, unless, unless things go batshit wrong, during the regular season, I don't think the Jazz are going to make a move. They went through their overhaul over the offseason. Where do you think they yeah. land in the Western Conference? I uh, kind of cheated here because you said pick a spot or pick a range. So I went range here, and I was I was tempted to go one through six, but I narrowed it down to one through four. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and predict that they get home court advantage. But the Western Conference is just so uh, – tough to predict once again for the like 25th year in a row. Um, <laughs> there's so many people who I, or teams who I think could rise into that home court advantage spot, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say Utah gets there. I think three or four is a good spot to put them there. Their ceiling is one. Their floor yeah, is not during the regular season is not all um, that low. I, I would be shocked if they were seven or eight. So it'd be hard for me to envision a scenario where they finish. Even, it's hard for me to envision them even finishing sixth. Uh, if we're being completely honest, where I, I really get concerned about them is whether they're 
less appealing in the playoffs for some reason. And that's not just because they play like a, a, a traditional big at the five. It's I'm, I'm not concerned about the, how are they going to make these front court combinations work is, are they giving up anything defensively uh, when you have Boyan Bogdanovich at the four? I feel like it could end up being a bigger, they could just be this, they could be the best regular team in basketball and maybe just not up to that standard when the postseason rolls around. So that that was kind of a backhanded compliment, but that's just still where I'm at with them. I think that's fair. Bold prediction. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. NBA title. Wow. Like you actually <laughs> do you actually believe this bold prediction or <laughs> um let me just say it's in the cards. I I don't know if I feel comfortable saying it will happen. Championship the Utah Jazz are a contender is Andy's bold prediction. <laughs> Then it gets far less bold when we put it that way. But that's that's basically what I just said. Uh, I'm going to just step out on all sorts of limbs and say that Donovan Mitchell is an all-star this year. That's or at least a consensus, a consensus snub. I'll go yeah. that route. Some people have gotten to the point where they think he's bad, and I know the efficiency could improve, but now he has other layers of shot creators around him. He should be able to get higher quality looks off the catch and I think the offense is just going to end up being a much better fit for him. I'm I'm pretty sure the recent backlash to Donovan Mitchell is like bots created by Sixers and Suns fans. That's that's oh, what I'm. I was like of. Sixers fans. That's Ben Simmons over there too. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. They they can't stand Donovan Mitchell. Two oh. fun fan bases there. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. During that time, the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls, they didn't need heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me the closest shave ever with an easy glide, and the razors come at a low price. Do us a favor, check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. It comes out to just $2 per blade. Harry's is also just super convenient. Blade refills are shipped right to your house when you sign up for a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Uh, on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. 49-33 and 33 last year. I think we could both say they're not going to be 49-33 and, and 33 this year. Um, they made all sorts of moves over the offseason as well, a lot that people didn't really see coming. Their notable additions include Chris Paul, Daniil Gallinari, Darius Baisley, Mike Muscala, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Notable exits include Jeremy Grant, Mark Keith Morris, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. Notable re-signings for them, the Jazz had none, uh, Nerlens Noel for the Oklahoma City Thunder. What do you got for me on this team? What are your observations? Um, let me, let me think which one I want to lead off with here. Chris Paul for MVP. (laughs) So, okay. I've got one that's kind of, 
I mean, I don't think he's going to win MVP or anything, but what do we think happens to Chris Paul's numbers now that he's back to being the guy controlling the ball? Is it, I think the follow-up question here would be, is Chris Paul plus a suboptimal offensive supporting cast still even a, a quality offense? Like, I just, he's, Chris Paul's still a really good player, but he can't play in space like he used to. He's not really just going to kill people off the dribble. Uh, his shot selection isn't going to get any easier. He was, last year, um, uh, almost 75% of his three-point makes went unassisted. Uh, the second highest mark among 423 players to appear in at least 20 games. You can guess the one player who was in, in front of him, James Harden. Yeah, his so boy. That, his role is not going to get any easier in Oklahoma City. I don't think he's going to be playing a ton off Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And even if he is, Shea Gilgis-Alexander isn't necessarily an, an elite setup man just yet. And so I, I don't really know what to expect from Paul. This And this also presupposes that he lasts beyond December in Oklahoma City. I'm yeah. interested to see pick and rolls between him and Steven Adams. If you can get lineups where there are three shooters around those two guys, three consistent shooters, and you have one in Gallinari, if you want to call Gilgis Alexander two, I don't know where the third one necessarily comes from. Maybe Abdel Nader is, is your guy. Uh, this could be a better-than-expected team, and Paul could have a better-than-expected year. Otherwise, it's just really hard to project what comes next for him. And this was also one of mine, so so we have overlap there. So I, I actually think he gets back to um, Clippers-type numbers pretty quickly, uh, meaning this season. <laughs> um, I think he averages high teens in points, like 17, 18 points a game, 9 or 10 assists. I think his efficiency will bump up a little bit. Again, like high 50s true shooting. Um, I, I think he's going to be really, really good. Because I think there are some pieces around him who are like good fits. And then another question I had was, how will him and Gallo play together? Um, Gallinari to me is is one of the best offensive players in the NBA and has been for some time. He's another guy who's just been plagued with injuries, but he was mostly healthy last season. I think we got to see what he can do. So I think that's a really interesting combination. You mentioned the the CP3 Stephen Adams combination. I think that one could go pretty well. Um, things kind of fall off a cliff after we get through the first four or five guys on this roster. But I think this starting lineup specifically could be, could be pretty dang good. So I think number, I think Paul's numbers will uptick, um, if not right back to where they were in LA, but, but probably close. Um, but my next question again is, is kind of how will he fit with Gallo? Cause I think that's, that's clearly the number two guy to me. Um, and and I think an extension on that is what you brought up. How does he fit with Steven Adams too? Can you rank these three players as if you're acquiring them for the entire 2019-2020 season? Luka Doncic, De'Aaron Fox, and Chris Paul. Uh, Doncic, Fox, Paul. Just how you put it. So you're so high on Paul, and yet you would have both those guys in front of him. I find that interesting. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul's, what, 34. 35 years old? 34, um, yeah. And also the other thing, he's missed 20-something games in each of the last three seasons, and that has to be part of his value as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what else do you have for this team? So another one um, that you kind of brought up already, but how soon do they pivot into a tank, if if at all? Um, Chris Paul is the obvious one. He's He's been in trade rumors all summer long. 
Steven Adams is on a really big contract, but maybe they can, you know, flow his name out there too. If, if things aren't going well, I mean, that's obviously in the cards. They've, they've already lost Westbrook and Paul George, obviously. So I, I think that's going to be sort of hovering over the team through February or through the deadline, whenever that is. Yeah. And it's, because you could you could talk yourself into borderline playoff contention for them if everybody stays healthy, but that's that's a big if because as you noted, uh, Daniil Gallinari is not exactly the healthiest player. Had a very healthy season last year where he probably could have made if there was a fourth All NBA team, he might have he might yeah. have made it. Um, I want to know, <clears throat> excuse me, what Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to look like on this team because many were high. I'm losing my voice here. Many were high on him last season, including me. Does it change at all where there's his responsibility should increase? Um, I know he's playing with Chris Paul and so I'll have a chance to play off him, get mentored by him, but there's far less shooting in Oklahoma city than he had around him in uh, Los Angeles. And how is he going to work within that more confined space? And there's a chance depending on how they view Dennis Schroeder, like, how does is this the year that Gil Alexander even has the opportunity to try and become a borderline primary playmaker? The reps should be there overall. I'm just wondering, are we going to get to see him uh, really try and expand his offensive horizons? And then what does he just look like overall? Is he going to be able to shoot a high percentage from three off the catch around Chris Paul? Are they going to stagger those two a lot? What do those two look like defensively? I'm very interested to see whether Shea Gilgis Alexander, good vibes continue to persist with this move to Oklahoma city. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. He's, he is like, he's the symbol of the rebuild at this point. I mean, they've got, I don't even, I can't, I can never remember how many picks incoming. It's feels like 20. Um, But right now the one sort of tangible piece that they've gotten back from all this is Shea Gilgis Alexander CP three. Even if he plays the whole season there, he doesn't feel like he's long for OKC. Same with Gallo. Um, SGA is is sort of the beacon of hope. So I think he's going to be under a microscope all season for them. Um, My next one is, and I I was actually going to leave SGA out of this question, but I'm wondering if any of those three, young wings that they have work out if you know if it's one or maybe even more uh terrence ferguson hamadou diallo and darius Baisley. they have three guys that i think are fairly similar and they've they've acquired them in pretty short um time frame so i'm curious to see which if any of them pop and and can maybe be the second piece of the rebuild with Shea gilgis alexander and then you know the the draft picks fall where they may after that yeah, it's a good question. You could probably even throw Deontay Burton in there as well. Yeah, yeah, you could. They're just very much up in the air on the wings. That's also one of my next things for them. Andre Robertson is supposed to be as healthy as he's been following that patellar injury that kept him out all of last year. What does he look like? He was. Mm-hmm. We can't trust him to – I think people have said something about maybe a shooting form looks smoother. You can't – this isn't an offensive play. Their whole – if he's healthy and defending at the level he was, which was an all – defense level before he was injured there's a lot more this team can do that that defense all of a sudden with Shea Gilgis Alexander CP3 Steven Adams and Andre Robertson at the floor at the same time probably not the best spacing lineup you can have Daniil Gallinari in there to try and you know minimize that effect but that's a really good defensive team if he is the player that he was before yeah and I think and we'll, we'll get into this 
with the quick questions later, but I, I think if that lineup is healthy, um, it's, it's not crazy to think that they could sneak into the playoffs. Uh, I would be I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be like blown away if they made it because that lineup, those four guys you named, plus Shea Gilders Alexander, is going to be that's going to be tough for a lot of people to face. What's your fourth note for OKC? Um, I think I'm already on my fifth. Oh, excuse me, I miscounted. And this one's just kind of a this one's kind of fun. Um, I'm just curious to see what Stephen Adams' rebounding numbers are going to look like now that it's not. <laughs> Now that he's not gifting them to Russell Westbrook, now that he's allowed to collect defensive rebounds, it's going to be really interesting to see what he does. Because he's been a monster on the offensive boards for a while now. Uh, but it's been well known that it, that his job and a lot of the other bigs' jobs was to just box out and let Westbrook come crashing in there and grab the board. So, um, again, this one's mostly just sort of fun. But I, I want to see how high his rebounding numbers can go. Look, very rarely. So in 2017-2018, his offensive rebounding percentage was higher than yeah. his defensive rebound percentage. And then last year, they were basically one-to-one. That's, you I just don't that see up. that happen. The year, Yeah, the year that he had more offensive boards than defensive, I looked it up and I had like a minimum threshold for total rebounds or something like that. And I it, it only happened like maybe 10 times in league history. I think there was maybe a Reggie Evans season in there which makes sense, but you're right. It's extremely rare. Uh, and I think he can, <laughs> I think he can dominate the boards now that he will be allowed to dominate the boards. As funny as that sounds. Mine is, it kind of jumps ahead a little bit because I w- I'm not going to vote Chris Paul as the most likely to be traded on this team. Uh, who are the suitors for Chris Paul outside of Miami? And are there any just because, yeah, the, I don't know. The heat have the easiest pathway to trading for him. When you look at the contracts that they have, uh, but at the same time, they don't have a, a ton of assets to include. And if Chris Paul is playing well enough, you're not. You're one. You're never going to attach something for to move Chris Paul. That's uh, OKC has made that pretty clear, and I don't think you have yeah. to necessarily. Uh, but the Heat don't have. If you want actual value, I, I guess aside from Tyler Hero or a really distant first round pick, which maybe the the Thunder would appreciate, they don't have a ton to offer because yes, they have the expiring contracts. I guess you can lean on those, but you're going to have to include at least one of the. Olenek, James Johnson, Dion Waiters trio, and and maybe you don't view, you shouldn't view Olenek's contract as bad, but the Thunder, I don't know, and, and Adams Olenek front court, I don't know if that's something that that moves the needle for them. And so, are there other teams out there that you could see maybe getting into the the Chris Paul sweepstakes, particularly if he ends up playing really well this season? My answer to that question is no. All there right. are no there there are no other teams like. Um, even Miami is a little bit of a stretch at this point. Um, I, I just, it's at this point in his career, and I know I just said that I think his numbers are going to bounce back uh, this season. I just, it's hard for me to imagine anybody giving up much of anything for him and then being on the hook for that salary. Is he, he, he still has one more year after this, right? Three years and $124 million million dollars left on his contract roughly so two years after this that is unless he declines that player option the final year which he yeah that's definitely should not that is yeah that is such a huge um that is a massive commitment for a player with with his health history his age um the intangible thing like the way that that he you know rubs off on teammates the last couple stops that he's had um 
it, it's it's it would be a tough sell, I think, for just about any team in the league right now. And that, and this is coming from somebody who, again, just said that he could average close to twenty and ten this season. I just it's it's a really big commitment. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the team that should do it, other than the Heat, Here. obviously, the Milwaukee Bucks. I that's one that I've heard, and I just don't like it. Why would you want to take the ball out of Giannis's maybe, hands? Maybe you heard it from Mo and I when we were discussing it for like it turned into a twenty minute uh, <laughs> sidebar in one podcast. It's just if Eric Bledsoe still isn't playing. That well, can you combine his salary with, you know, Ursan Ilyasova and then you need another filler contract in there? I wouldn't want it to be George Hill, but it might need to be, or you're going to have to start combining other pieces. If you need that second, we, someone who needs to create something from nothing because Chris Middleton isn't cutting it and Eric Bledsoe's kind of laying a dud and you're super worried about Giannis Antetokounmpo leaving in 2021, that would be... Maybe should is a strong word. If if the deal was on the table right now, I would not do it if I were the Bucks. But they would be a team for me just to monitor. And I also wish there was a pathway for him to get to to San Antonio. But you know, you could go. I wouldn't be opposed to this. You could go Demar Derozan and filler for Chris Paul. But they're talking I about would, an extension yeah. with Derozan, so I can't see yeah. that happening. And he's really, you know, unless you're going to wait till December, uh, I don't. I don't think Aldridge would that you would move him there. Although Adams and Aldridge at the front court would really be turning back to times in, in OKC. I'd pay to see that. You could cobble together basically every single one of your other contracts. Then you're just giving up too much of your depth. But I, if there was another team, I'd love to see him on the Spurs. But I think there there's an easier pathway for a wild card like Milwaukee to maybe talk itself into making that gamble. So before you said that 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 adding Chris Paul might convince Giannis to stay I was gonna like half joke that that would speed up his departure to the Lakers um (laughs) and then for the Spurs I I think that's a place where you know just just everyone over the age of 33 to play yeah yeah that's that's probably part of it but that's one place where I could see Paul specifically working out but the issue there is they've got like four young combo guards that they're trying to work in with with Derek White DeJounte Murray um Lonnie Walker, Bryn Forbes. Um, so there's questions there too. I, I think it, every possible um, landing spot I see for Chris Paul, there are just big glaring question marks or red flags for me. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I think the best fit for him right now is this roster in OKC. So um Spoiler alert, I am going to say that he's the player most likely to be traded. So the uh, only fit for him is in OKC, but, but they're going to move him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, he's in such a weird age contract health situation that it's, it's just really hard for me to see deals for him. Um, at least right now, maybe, maybe that'll change if he's just like fantastic old Chris Paul at the start of the season. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be, if he is. It'll be fun to see which teams come out of the woodwork in that because there will be teams that come out of the woodwork. If he's, let's say he's an all star and OKC isn't on track to make the playoffs, that'll be fun times. Yeah, for sure. Um, we move on from now, our fast five being concluded. Will they grade out higher on offense or defense in Oklahoma City? I think this one's pretty clearly defense. You mentioned that, that trio with Paul, Roberson, and Adams, and if they're healthy, that's actually the potential to be a really good defensive team. So it's that one's easily defense for me. Yeah, same here. And you throw Shea Gilgis Alexander in there. Uh, yeah, breakout candidate. I'm gonna go with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, Love it. <laughs> you mentioned a lot of the reasons uh, as you spoke about him earlier, but he's 
you know, I like positionless players. I think he's got he's got the perfect frame for that. He's shown a little bit as a shooter, a little bit as a creator. Um, I just I love positionless basketball and versatility, and I think he's he's got a chance to be that kind of a player. Shayosh Alexander is my pick too. Again, I'm sort of worried what his role becomes when you have Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder there. That being said, uh, he he just has everything. It looks like he has a better feel for the game in the half court when you watch some of those later Clippers games. Can he take more threes? Can he maybe dribble into some more threes? Those will be things to watch, but that's also going to be a harder part of his game to develop uh, mid OKC spacing. Uh, and like you, you talked about their wings before, they need one or two of those guys to really pop as shooters. And yeah. you can include Gilgis Alexander in that. Totally agree. Um, the next up on this list, we have strongest year end award candidate. This one's hard. Uh, I can see why you were kind of chuckling as you laid that question out. Um, I know it felt, it felt so stupid. <laughs> I guess maybe you could make a case for Shea Gilders Alexander winning most improved, but that's pretty rare for a second year guy just cause it's, I think there's almost an unwritten rule that people expect people to, or expect players to improve from year one to year two. Um, I went, I went, way off the deep end here and just said Steven Adams defensive player of the year. I don't think that's likely. Um, but if they're like a top five defense and he's averaging 12, 13 rebounds, a block and a half, um, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe there's a possibility. The spicy take here is that if they win 47, <laughs> 48, 49 games with Chris Paul, everyone stays healthy. Uh, he's MVP, but that's the spicy oh, wow. take. That's very spicy. The default take is coach of the year in that scenario. Yeah. I think you have to go with Billy Donovan there as well. But look, if if this team contends for a top five spot in the West, they won't. But I'm just saying, if something like that happens, the, the narrative for MVP writes itself for Chris Paul. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. It's, it's incredibly spicy. <laughs> uh, line up your dynasty from them. Um, I went kind of similar to what I did – uh, with the Jazz, with the exception of I still have a traditional five in this one, but I got Shea Gilgis Alexander at the one. So you're, you know, you're young, intriguing wing playing the one, and then you surround him with other wings. And I just, you know, I picked those three guys I mentioned earlier Ferguson, Diallo, and Baisley. Uh, you're positionless two through four, and then you've got Steven Adams anchoring it. So that's my offbeat lineup. My, uh, hopefully, this is offbeat. Dalinari at center. Let's get it done. And then you're gonna have you're gonna have Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander in the backcourt still. You have to have Andre Robertson on the wings in that situation. And then I think to just sort of counter having him there and not wanting to completely ruin your spacing, you're gonna have to get power forward minutes out of Nader or Ferguson, who shot the ball a little bit better at times uh, last season as your power forward. Uh, or you can have Robertson as the power forward with them at the three, whatever you wanna call it. It'd be something I would. I would really love to to watch, and I, that's probably the most versatility I feel like this team can have. Your lineup, I might I might go a step further and say, why don't you throw Nerlens Noel in there instead of Steven Adams, and maybe that, yeah. maybe that just makes it a little bit more switchable. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a good call. Uh, Gallo at the five would be fun. Player most likely to be traded. You have Chris Paul. Which Yeah, I'm going with Chris Paul. I don't even think you need to defend, especially if Jimmy Butler is unhappy by the middle of December in Miami yeah. or whatever reason. His teammates are getting December. up at that's, 3.30 that's in the morning. That's like a week away, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have Daniil Gallinari just because there's a chance that he ends up being the best player on this team. He's on an expiring contract. 
just an incredible scorer when you look at his all-around game. He yeah. was not always the most efficient, but last year um, he he did well from three-point range off the dribble. Uh, he also just gets to the line uh, cyclically. It's every every single season his free throw rate is just higher than I think anyone realizes. Dead eye guy at the foul line. He can really put his head down and, and get you a bucket from scratch and has has nice size to him. He's not a good defender. But I think you can get away in certain lineups where, you know, he's 6'10 or whatever he is now without shoes on. Maybe you can get away with him as the small ball five. Just the fact that he's on an expiring contract, though, if the Thunder decide to pivot, I would think he's the first to go because he's not someone, since he's on the wrong side of 30 now, that you invest in long term after this season as you rebuild. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Where do you think they land in the Western Conference? So I joked about ranges earlier. This is a big one. Um <laughs> 15th through second <laughs> close i said 7 to 14 um jeez the, the only team i'm sure they're better than is the memphis grizzlies who i'm i'm quite certain will finish last in the western conference um other than that it's it, the the western conference again it's so wild it's so tough to predict that i could see that i honestly could see them landing anywhere in there in that seven to 14 range. And if they, if they pivot to the tank earlier, maybe I can expend it, extend it to seven to 15, but I'll say seven to 14 for now. Uh, how's that for a, a wide open prediction? Yeah. Mine's not exactly that much more finite. I have them between 12 and six. So I have their ceiling being a little higher. And the, the only way they're getting to six or blowing away expectations is if you keep this team together for the entire season and everyone's healthy. Yeah. Uh, it's but it's easier to talk yourself into them trading someone, someone else getting injured, and and them just not standing up to the gauntlet that is the the Western Conference. I don't think unless they really lean into the tank early, I do not think that they're one of the two worst teams in the West. That's just something I'm sort of bullish on right now. You can't convince me right now that Dallas is definitely better, that Phoenix is definitely better, that Minnesota is definitely better. Uh, Memphis obviously is in there too so I do think their ceiling or their floor might be a little bit higher than people expect unless you're assuming that you know December 15th rolls around free agents from other teams are eligible eligible to be traded Daniel Gallinari gone Chris Paul gone for some of those some of those players or something yeah then things change pretty quickly uh, the thing about uh, a few of those teams like I don't I don't think Dallas is definitely better either but I also wouldn't be at all surprised if any of those teams finished ahead of OKC. No, I think uh, that's fair to say too. Yeah. Bold prediction for the Oklahoma City Thunder as we wrap up here. I'm going to say Chris Paul does not get traded this year. I, I think it's just too hard to figure out a trade with that contract and everything else that comes with it. So I I think he's going to be in OKC this entire season. Do you think he finishes his contract in OKC? that's a that's a tougher call um theoretically it gets easier to trade him the shorter the contract gets but he's again he's getting up there um it's going to be in his age with like 36 37 whatever it is by the by the end of that contract so um it's almost like a double-edged sword where i i don't know if it gets easier or harder to trade the contract the the further you get into it um so I don't know if I can make a real call beyond this season. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. I'm sort of going to toe along the lines of that prediction. And this was born from Dallas Mavericks fans getting uh, big mad at me when I made a joke on Twitter about Doncic and Kristaps being a terrifying 11 seed this year. I, yeah. I think the Thunder, if they keep Chris Paul, 
are going to win more games than the Dallas Mavericks. I don't actually know if that's bold, It's but it's bold in the sense that I'm predicting they'll keep Chris Paul and then win more games than a team that everyone seems to be much higher on than myself. Um, anybody who thinks that they can like definitively say that Dallas will be better than OKC or vice versa is just, that's, that's wild to me. Um, way to take shots at your co-host. Well, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's, I do think I'm not as high on Dallas as everyone else. Their ceiling is still up there because you have, if Kristaps is, is good post AC injury and Doncic, it continues his trajectory for, for sure. I just, when you look at everything else that's around them, I like some of their pieces, but the team just doesn't feel especially deep or that it's going to be that good defensively. Yeah. What I was, yeah. What I'm mostly saying is the people who got mad at the 11 seed joke, um, are that's there's just no way you can know that so many people <laughs> tagged old takes exposed like i was being dead oh wow serious, yeah which is fine that's the risk when you're an asshat on twitter that's very my confident brand, but yeah so but i thought it was funny how irate dallas mavericks fans got at, at, at what was a joke but i will own the prediction that i wasn't making in that tweet <laughs> that's fine too <laughs> and then they'll probably finish 12th um all right, I think we've wrapped up the Jazz and the Thunder. So if you want to, uh, if you want to hit us up with any of your qualms over this, uh, you should do so in an Apple Podcast review. How about that? Nice. Um, if you if you haven't rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, be sure you do that. And if you have, share it with your friends, family, acquaintances, uh, coworkers, people you run into on the street. Uh, people you run into in public transportation, share the podcast with them. It will brighten their lives. Um, as always, before we take off, we leave you with the shout out to Benno Udry and to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.